0: Jumping in, served to you by the wine cellar. Hello. Good evening, and welcome. Can you believe it? Here we are again jumping in with another special, Woo-hoo! talking to another great jazzer on the British scene and further afield, Binker Golding,
1: celebrating... Jumping in, the best in modern and contemporary jazz with myself H and me Chris. Yes, welcome to this week's show. As H says, another special. Gosh, we're good to you. Where else can you get this sort of treatment at home? Really? And uh, now we'll be hearing from saxman extraordinaire Binker Golding later on. As H say, and he has a new release, a new band, and is readying himself for this year's London Jazz Festival. On the uh, on the news of. Special Saxmen, incidentally, very saddened to hear that Jason Yard had a massive stroke while on stage in France last week, and we wish him the very best in recovery. There's a crowd funder if you'd like to help with that. You may know he had heart surgery early in the year, and uh, obviously he was lucky that there were paramedics at the event, and they got him quickly, so we wish him a speedy mm, recovery. do. But first, H, what have been your half-term essentials, and which were your last-minute holiday hold-all?
0: <laughs> well, you yeah, know, thinking of classic Saxmen, well, who more classic than and a bit of Coltrane. We haven't had any Coltrane for a wee while, I thought, so why not a bit of that? We'll, we'll of course, be celebrating some of Binker's music and a bit of Brian Corbett.
1: And for me, well, we hoop, we fly, we seek the sun and we start on a secret planet. Here's the Roost Big Band with Ari Minor Blues. Minor Blues from Roost Big Band's second album, Secret Planet. And what can I tell you about them? Well, not a lot, actually, except they come from Italy, and their Facebook page they say Roost is an English word that means roost. Or where birds or yeah. where birds perch. Well, thank you for that. Yes, very useful indeed. The band was formed by Stefano Travaglini and Robert Rossi, and they say that they combined the first two letters of their names for the band name wouldn't that be stereo? maybe the other way around I see anyway the 70s band, 17 piece band consists of five saxes four trumpets four trombones a singer a pianist a guitarist bass and drums and they certainly sound rather good hopefully the third album won't be quite so much of a secret
0: <laughs> we live in hope as they say but great to sound a lovely big band sound and again just listening to that even in the studio you think wow it'd be nice to hear that live and we were chatting before about listening to the Gareth Lacrane big band uh, live virtually sitting in the band last year at uh, in the venue so you're like feet away from the band and my word yeah, you really get that whole experience when you get a big band like that blowing, fantastic stuff uh, from big band to a smaller band and we're uh, staying with Saxes, like you say something not quite so well known to someone I think everyone knows something about, John Coltrane His sheets of sound, his playing with miles, his uh, drug addiction, his clearing himself up again, his spiritualism, his amazing talent on the saxophone and his uh, brilliant playing with all sorts of people, particularly with his classic quartet. Let's go back to 1959, Coltrane Jazz, Fifth House. Mm Still sounding really fresh after all these years from a classic year in jazz, it has to be said. December 1959. Uh, take your pick, you know. Uh, uh, time out and, of course, all blues and uh, all Coleman coming out with, I think, The Shape of Jazz to Come. Was it one of those ones? I can't remember which one it was. Now Mingus uh, doing his uh, classic albums as well. They were all in 1959, as was that one. Train Jazz, like I said, recorded in New York with not his classic quartet with Elvin Jones, a little bit before that. Uh, Winton Kelly on piano. Paul Chambers, bass, both with Miles as well, of course, and Jimmy Cobb, player of the uh, drums, famously on Kind of Blue, uh, behind the kit on that one. Very nice indeed, and uh, not sounding any the worse. After all these years, and seeing as we are talking to Binker Golding a little later on, a fine saxophonist, I thought we did a uh, celebrate with a bit of a You might have heard of John Coltrane. I dare say you might have even been vaguely
1: influenced by him of course there was also something else that year well, something else purple, I said, purple, yeah, perfect yeah. yeah really really good year uh, next for me a man who's no stranger on the show and is constantly coming up with new and interesting projects a regular session man who's constantly in demand saxophonist Paul Booth could just as easily be found on stage with Steve Winwood or Steely Dan or Van Morrison Eric Clapton or indeed Jamiroquai as with his projects the Bansango Orchestra or Patchwork Jazz Orchestra not to mention his A-list jazz connections his solo releases or indeed his seat in the B BBC big band the man is busy okay so on the back of a pop rock tours he had the idea of secret sessions he'd look through his contacts see which of his f- session friends were available and invite them to record and compose for a new project the secret bit was that other than the instrumentation to aid their composition and arrangements they'd be kept in the dark about who was going to play until they turned up in the studio and judging by the results I'd say it paid off here's Sintival Nice indeed. Sinterval taken from Hoop, the second release from the Secret Sessions project of sax band Paul Booth. The first, Fragile Eagle, is a digital only release from Ubuntu, but Hoop is available in all formats. And what a great band it is. Tom Walsh on trumpet, Nickel Thompson, trombone, Paul Booth on saxes, of course, Chris Allard on guitars, Lawrence Cottle on bass, Ian Thomas at the drums, Steve Hamilton and Ross Stanley on the keys, the ubiquitous Ross Stanley and Miles (laughs) Bold. And uh, he he gives a special thank you uh, to uh, Paul Pace from Spice of Life who allowed them to go and play there as well and Spice of Life is where you'll catch Gareth La and his big hand again at this year's London Jazz on a Sunday lunchtime should you make it down there
0: cracking gig I don't know whether we're going to get this year because I think we're going to see Connie and we'll see what happens you never know. You can't do everything, can you? You're listening to Jumping In with Chris and myself, H. And uh, yeah, time for our guest, uh, the wonderful Binker Golding. Uh, been around the scene for a number of years, of course. He's a great character, a great player. We've seen him uh, on the several of the different settings uh, both with other bands famously with moses boyd uh, he's got a new album out dream like a dogwood wild boy which he's a uh, touring with and will be featuring coming up at the london jazz festival we're hoping to catch up with him although that gig i think is sold out at the purcell room Things go quickly, you know, under some of these ones, and he's got a great following. However, we did manage to catch him uh, via Zoom, where he'd been busy composing and was happy to take a break, he said, uh, to have a, a little chat. And we started out by asking him, yes, uh, he'd been famously, and perhaps for most people, best known for his work with uh, Binker and Golding, with Moses Boyds and uh, we asked him, well, when did that go back till?
2: Let me see. The first release was, I believe, 2015, but we'd been working together with that ensemble for probably about two years prior to that. So, um, and we've known each other for longer than that. Again, so um, I, I count all of it essentially. But yeah, probably about two thousand and thirteen was um, when we put that ensemble together initially. Yes,
0: it's terrific. And you too. So, have you got to the stage now? You think with with Moses, where it's one of those sort of telepathic relationships? You can get together, and you, you almost know which what each other's thinking.
2: Yes, it's been like that for a, a little while, I suppose. But now more more so than ever, we've done a lot of shows and. We've done a fair deal of recording with each other and Yes, we know each other very, very well in that sort of way. So um, we've we've always maintained a very good, very healthy relationship between the two of us. Yes. It's uh,
1: an interesting thing in the last few years. I think we've seen a growth of, quite often, trios with no harmony instruments. And so there's a number of sax drums and bass trios around. But taking a step further and taking the bass away as well, very brave thing to do. What brought that about originally with the two of you just as close friends
2: and gigging together? Yes, that's become uh, you know reason, reasonably a popular sort of uh, lineup, if you will.
1: So, so we're going to say certainly breaking into perhaps more of a, a broader club scene. The likes of Ilk considered, yeah, sure. uh, going out and doing that. But it, but interestingly for for Binker and Moses, we've gone on a journey where the uh, last studio album, of course, your fourth studio album, added electronics quite a different feel to the mix. And if we look at your own uh, solo releases. Big change again with uh, with Dogwood Wild Boy at the moment. Quite a move away yeah. from the bop feeling of uh, abstracts. So uh, tell us what brought you on that journey with a, with a totally new direction.
2: Well, with the new direction, with the solo album and the solo work, that's just that's just me being me. Basically, it's just another facet of my personality. I I always want things to contrast in my work in the grand scheme of things. So it was inevitable to me that I wouldn't make another album at least in you know around this sort of time that was similar to feeding the machine which was the album that moses boyd and myself had done prior so i wanted to do something different and i just looked at a different facet of my personality basically and that's what came out on on that record with the practicality of well the idea of um moses and myself playing together duo that really just came out of practicality when we were on the road with other bands, um, mainly Zara McFarland's band, and um, we just did a lot of practice as a duo. We were very inspired by that. It's, it's very good practice, basically, and um, that eventually just started turning into genuine musical ideas. And that's how Binker and Moses was formed. That's what, what, how that became what it is. Yeah. But um, you know, I enjoy doing that. I still enjoy doing that. But of course, I don't want to do that all the time so um the quintet is very very different to the material and the way it's constructed and so on i don't eat the same meal every day i don't eat the same (laughs) food every day and i don't listen to the same music every day nor nor do i create the same music every day so to me it, it made perfect logical sense but i yeah, well, we'll see what audiences make of it. You
0: know. <laughs> and what, what do you turn to for inspiration then? Because famously, you, know, you chat to different people and, and they ha- people have different inspirations sometimes. We were chatting, I think, to a Trish Clues quite recently who was very influenced by the environment and thinking about environmental changes, concerns about the environment, jazz and politics and protests being closely linked for as long as jazz has been around, really. And then, of course, it could be something you know more internal, something actually personal within yourself. Do, do you have any particular area? which you find feed into and inspire your, your music?
2: Um, definitely the personal. I you know read newspapers and so on and so forth, and I'm reasonably up to date with politics internationally, I would say, and a number of other things. But as an artist, it doesn't interest me to incorporate that into my work at this particular time in my life. Mm. It was appealing to me a few years ago in some ways, and there were some slight political edges to some of the things I've done. but. Um, As I've got older, at this this particular juncture in my life, I'm more interested in writing music that's personal and that's human and um, that deals with things that are more eternal, at least in my eyes, than, say, contemporary politics, which is always changing or at least gives the appearance that it's always changing. Um, So, yeah, I draw upon really my own internal experiences and thoughts and whether they be thoughts about myself or relationships that I've had with various people, whether they were romantic relationships or just general relationships and people that I've known, uh, their personalities and or memories of them crop up in my music a lot. Um, I tend to write music about experiences and people that I've known. And um, but it's, it's not that I particularly draw inspiration from that. It's that it ends up being that. So I just write anyways, the the notes and notes and rhythm and harmony is what inspires me fundamentally. And then I get halfway through the piece of music and I realize halfway through writing a Mm. piece and I realize it's about something else. It's about something that's actually happened to me or something that I know. So it's uh, the pieces more end up being about something rather than that thing, inspiring them, if you see what I mean. I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard the term jazz is dead and you know that term was being used long since before i was born in 1985 and the 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 fact that it's still being used occasionally occasionally as a as a term is to me is self-evident that it's actually not dead because if it was then at the initial time when people started using that phrase jazz is dead it would have never been used past then you know it would have ended and that would have been it and we wouldn't have to use that phrase anymore but the fact that that phrase every kind of 10 to 15 years gets sort of resurrected, you know, every so often to me is actually is self-evident that the contrary is true. So um, <laughs> I think it makes sense. Inevitably, there's a sort of jazz revival every 15 years or something like that. I've already lived through three of them. I was <laughs> born into one around the mid-80s. That was when, you know, Loose Tubes and Courtney yeah, Pine were sort of making their names on the British scene. And then 15 years later, when I was 15, you know, it was the whole piano trio thing was big. And Brad Meldow was the big name in the States. And they kind of mirrored that in Europe with Esbian Svensson and Gwillem Simcock and, and, and various people. And then 15 years after that, you know, Kamazi Washington and Robert Glasper become semi-household names and they become successful. And that gets sort of mirrored on the European continent and in the British Isles and so on. And it, to me, it happens every 15 years, like clockwork through my life anyway. I and mean, there'll be another one in, you know, 15 years from now or 10 years from now. The, the similar thing will happen again. And that's just that's just show business. I think there's nothing wrong with that. I don't sneer at that. I don't look down my nose at that. That's just show business. It's the, the these waves, they come and go. And right now, I think we're riding on a very, very good one, which is healthy for the industry and healthy for musicians and audiences. And I, I hope it lasts. And I hope there's another wave. And I hope it's bigger than this one.
1: Is it something that you'd have in your catalogue, you think, to pull a, a big band album together next or maybe a little bit later? Yeah, later?
2: I've, I've been thinking of doing that for quite some time, um, a number of years now that at some point I will do that um I trained when I was at college I trained in big band writing I put together a lot of big band charts it was something that I did quite consistently for yeah. um much of my 20s actually and uh, gave a number of performances with um Tomorrow's Warriors with their big band and so on sure. and conducted that and, and composed music for it and um I think it is something that I feel I eventually I'll feel the need to do and uh, make a recording of big band music that I've composed, you know, probably original compositions and maybe a suite of some description. It's not something that weighs on my shoulders too much now, but I think inevitably it will it will come out at a certain point. Yeah. Yeah. Is,
0: is that something, again, is, is it a balancing act ever? Because clearly on the one hand, jazz is famously a niche music. It's not something which generally has mass appeal. You're bringing up music, as you say, which is coming from, in your case, you know, yourself, your personality, you're expressing yourself through music. Do you ever have to think, obviously, you'd like albums, any albums coming out to have a degree of commercial success. Is, is there any... Is there ever any element of that when you're thinking about bringing an album out, how commercial is this going to be? Or is it purely about the music and you know what, the audience will decide?
2: I, I do think about uh, the commerciality of records or whether they'll be successful. But then the thing is, I don't do anything about that. So it's 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 impossible to completely unacknowledge, you know, what how popular your music will be or you know, how well it fits into the zeitgeist. I mean, I I can write a piece of music and I can tell you how closely it fits into a a current zeitgeist or not. Mm. But um, the thing that I don't do is I don't engineer the pieces to fit into something. I just write. And um, if it fits in to what's popular and successful at this point in time, then fine, that's great. You You know, hopefully I'll sell a lot of records. If it doesn't fit in, then, fine I, it's just something that I have to do you know it's uh I would I would say the last album I would say dogwoods very uh against the sort of current zeitgeist I could have made a, a an album a lot easier than that that I that would have been more popular probably on a more popular level but I I, I it's just not what I want to do right now I want to I want to play the long game and play and write music that i really truly truly believe in and work at getting the audience work at finding an audience for that music um because it's always out there it just depends on how many people you introduce your music to so it, it would have been really easy for me to have made i don't know like a spiritual jazz album or something that was you know really rhythmic and really danceable and everything and uh that would have been lovely and but that's just not how i feel right now sure. with the with the quintet stuff it's not how i feel it would have been very dishonest and um the thing about dogwood it it, it was honest it's an honest album so um it's just a matter of people having a, a you know a relationship with that album and finding you find the you find the audience for that music basically
1: I was thinking, actually, uh, you've had a great relationship with Gearbox over the years, and it's not always sure. having that choice to do what you feel and what actually is true to your heart. It's not always an easy relationship with a record company. I mean, if we look in the jazz world, of course, Miles was famously changing and would ride over any criticism and say, this is what it is, man. I'm going forward. I'm not looking back. And it would change and live with that. Equally, there's been a lot of other great jazzers and great pop musicians, but certainly in the more commercial aspect, if we look at Bowie or indeed uh, Peter Gabriel's a fantastic example asked to do another album the same as the previous one he would say no and just go and find a new contract with a totally different record label who prepared to take him on you know it's a very brave thing to do so have Gearbox been a really supportive relationship for you?
2: Yes they have definitely have been um we've been able whether it was myself in my solo career or with Binker and Moses we've been able to in every instance do what we felt was artistically honest and true and they haven't blocked that at all, any record label, they always have, you know, they always have something to chime up with, and oh, sure. you know, they try and perhaps steer you in a direction. Oh, that was great, you know, that sold, and you know, you know, th- it would be nice if you kind of did something Good like that, that again, <laughs> but um they've never actually, you know, enforced that. And I think they have known, you know, judging on my character and on, for example, Moses Boyd's character, that it just wasn't going to happen. You know, is uh, the second Binker and Moses album was quite successful as far as independent british jazz albums go and um you know the next one we did was nothing like that whatsoever we moses and i weren't interested in replicating that and um the first solo album i did which was on gearbox i wasn't interested when i came to making my second one i wasn't interested in replicating that at all um in any way So um, they've definitely provided that opportunity for us, which I think is the correct way to be. It's it's risky, it's high risk approach for a record label, but I think in the long term, it's the one which pays off, literally pays off financially in the long term, better, much better than, you know, reproduction of ideas.
0: Jumping in, delivered to your door by the wine cellar. Douglas. Most certainly is, and uh, you've just enjoyed there a bit of Binker Golding from his latest album, which is touring this very back-end, Dreams of a Dogwood, or, or Dreams Like a Dogwood a Wild Boy, and before that, a little bit from Feeding the Machine. And thanks very much, Binker for spending the time to talk to us.
1: Both of those were well worth digging out. Now, another saxophonist from me, and a debut album to boot. Saxophonist and composer Donatus Patrikas is based in Vilnius in Lithuania, and with his quintet, released another spirit, earlier this year. Here's Flying Tail. music, another spirit from the debut release from saxophonist Donatus Petrakis with we'll Malta Captain on trumpet, Rael tails on piano, Jens Samuel Slasher Bonnarup on bass Great and day. Jesper Lorb Christensen. No relationship I don't know to John Christensen perhaps on the drums. And uh, we were talking about Harold Anderson's Masculera last week. I think some other spirit is captured in this lovely debut album. Well that's about it for this week. Special thanks A to... packed programme, thank you. Indeed, Binka mm. Golding. We look forward to maybe catching up with him at the London Jazz Festival so it's only fair he should have the last word from a village of the sun another project led this time by half of the electro dance duo basement jacks Keysman simon radcliffe with both binker and golding village of the sun here's ted
0: and apologies to brian corbett you'll be in next week brian fear not see you, see you later. there bye for
1: now